Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting. You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. Jennifer Palmer covers education for Oklahoma Watch. Her latest story reveals the backstory of a viral TikTok video. Jennifer, what's the video? Can you describe it? Sure. This video um, shows a drag queen uh, doing a performance in some sort of uh, restaurant venue. And, you know, I'd seen the video on Twitter, uh, first uh, posted by an account called Libs of TikTok, and then retweeted by Superintendent of Schools, Ryan Walters. And originally, I wanted to know whether it was even shot in Oklahoma, right? Because there didn't say anything to that effect, um, although that's what it claimed. How were you able to verify that it, it was actually shot here in the state? Right. We wanted to know uh, if this video was shot in Oklahoma. Um, I recognized a, um, a symbol on the rug on it, that you can see kind of in the corner of the video and was able to track that down to um, a business called Crossing Second in Bartlesville. And that in turn led you to a woman named Sharon Hurst. Who is she? That's right. Sharon owns Crossing Second. Um, she opened it a couple of years ago, actually February 2020, right before the pandemic hit, which is probably a terrible time to open a restaurant. Um, but she's made it through that. Um, she is uh, an Air Force veteran. She, um, you know, describes herself as a conservative voter and, uh, you know, kind of politically and opened this restaurant as um, just kind of a gathering place for um, lots of different kinds of people. And what did she have to say about uh, the video? She, she ha didn't know when I called that this video had been posted by an elected official, uh, one who she voted for, by the way. Um, she was really disappointed that um, they had posted it without reaching out to her, calling her, fact-checking any portion of it, um, and and kind of talked about how um, not just this video, but other um, harassment uh, that she's faced um, related to the, um, the drag queen performances that she's had at her restaurant and kind of talked about how those have affected her and her business and her customers. Now, who is Rich Pankowski? Rich Pankowski is um, a pastor who runs a group called Warriors for Christ. This is a group that um, is kind of known for protesting at pride events around the country and drag queen story time events. And he's kind of made a name for himself doing that and is known as, you know, just this anti-LGBTQ pastor. Uh, is uh, Warriors for Christ based in Oklahoma? No. As far as I can tell, they're out of Tennessee. Southern Poverty Law Center has them on a list, don't they? That's right. In 2021, I believe they listed the group as uh, a hate group. And so what's his connection to Bartlesville? He does not live in Bartlesville, um, but he has been involved 
in um, what their city council has been trying to do. He, you know, he's been um, c- complaining and and pushing this um, uh, city council ordinance that would outlaw uh, or prohibit any um, drag queen uh, drag performances in public spaces. Now, not only is that uh, persecution of drag shows amplified on social media, uh, but it's becoming public policy, right? Yeah, and that's what I thought was so interesting um, about this backstory. Um, I think a lot of folks saw that video. Obviously, it's been watched over a million times. Um, But it's the same video that was posted to the... um, Warriors for Christ um, YouTube page. Um, and so the the video went from there to kind of to mainstream on on Twitter. and um, you know, Warriors for Christ is a um, has been classified as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Um, so it went from from that YouTube page to Twitter and is now, fueling um, certain conversations among the Bartlesville City Council. And there's even um, state legislation to outlaw uh, drag shows. All right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. Uh, You can read Jennifer's story about the viral TikTok uh, video that was shared by our state superintendent of schools. Uh, as well as all her other investigative work on her website, oklahomawatch.org. While you're there, you can also subscribe to her weekly newsletter, Education Watch. Whitney Bryan covers mental health at Oklahoma Watch, and over the weekend, she received a video showing an altercation between jailers and detainee Ronald Given, who died as a result of that struggle. Pottawatomie County officials withheld that footage for four years, and Whitney is here to tell us why they're releasing it now and what the video revealed. Before we get to that, Whitney, uh, maybe remind everybody, who was Ronald Given? Uh, Ronald Given was a 42-year-old member of the Kiowa tribe. In 2019, he was arrested during a mental health crisis in Shawnee, and he ended up in the Pottawatomie County Jail in January of that year, where he got into this altercation with uh, detention officers, and that resulted in his death. For the past four years or so, his family and the community have been demanding answers to exactly what happened to him. And, you know, the video is now providing a few of those answers. What what does that video show? Well, we see Given walking back and forth in a concrete cell. He's banging on the doors and kicking them. He eventually undresses and starts trying to pick a lock of one of the doors. And that's when a detention detention officer comes up behind him and tries to take something out of his hand that he was using to pick the lock. Uh, The struggle starts there when the jailer wraps his arms around Given and sort of slams him to the ground. Then he climbs on top of Given, is like kneeling kind of on his torso, and a bunch of other officers rush in. There's 
uh, four officers or so trying to restrain him on the floor. They eventually handcuff him, stand him up, and they move him to a smaller cell where they again throw him onto the floor uh, face first. And there are, again, four officers kind of huddled over him, uh, struggling to restrain him for several minutes. There's an officer at his feet who lifts up one of his ankles a few minutes into that struggle, and his leg is completely limp. Uh, that's when officers start backing away, and we see that he's completely unconscious. Now, uh, Ronald Given ultimately died as a result of that altercation, right? Yes. After that struggle, Given was taken to a hospital in Oklahoma City and never regained consciousness. He died there at the hospital about a week later, and the medical examiner determined that his cause of death was a result of that struggle, and that death was ruled a homicide. Uh, well, if it was a homicide, that's an uh, unlawful killing. Has anyone been uh, prosecuted? No, so far there has not been a prosecution related to this death. Has anybody been charged? No. Now, jail officials have been withholding that footage for four years. What changed? Well, the news outlet, The Frontier, they sued uh, the county, which denied them the footage a couple of years back. And about a month ago, an appellate court judge ruled in their favor, saying that this video is public record and has to be released. So I had also requested this video and received more than seven hours of redacted footage after that decision was made. All of the jailers and Given's face were blurred out in the video, so it's very difficult to see everything, including, you know, small details, uh, things like whether Given hits his head on a bench when he's slammed to the ground. And uh, what reason did Pottawatomie County give for uh, concealing the identity of uh, Given and the jailers? They did not provide uh, a response when I asked them why the video was redacted. Now, uh, how did how did Ronald Given end up in the Pottawatomie County Jail in the first place? Well, Shawnee police were called because Given was kind of making a scene, so to speak, at a tractor supply store. He, you know, pushed a cart into the window and threw clothes around. He was telling store employees that someone was trying to kill him and actually encouraged them to call the police. Uh, the police showed up and they actually took Given to a local hospital where it was determined that he needed to be placed in a mental health facility, but there were not any beds available. So police waited at the hospital with him for a bed to open up. And while they were waiting, Given became agitated and ended up shoving one of the officer's shoulders. And that's when they arrested him and took him to the jail. Thanks, Whitney. You can read Whitney's uh, story about the Ronald Given video in his case, uh, as well as all her work on mental health and its intersection with policing on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. While you're there, if you wish to see the redacted uh, video of Ronald Given, it is available embedded in the story on our website. It uh, will be disturbing to some people, so uh, consider whether you wish to view that, but you'll find it at oklahomawatch.org. Keaton Ross covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch, and in his latest story, he reports on how Oklahoma lawmakers are aiming to change election rules and requirements 
for ballot initiatives in this uh, upcoming legislative session. Keaton, how many election-related bills have lawmakers introduced this year? So combining those election voting bills and those proposals to change the requirements for ballot initiatives, uh, I found just over uh, 90 of those. And how does that compare to, say, the past few years? It's pretty on par with what we saw uh, in 2021 and 2022. Um, it's important to note a couple of things. Uh, there, there are several of what they call carryover bills, things that were proposed last session, uh, didn't get through, and then lawmakers introduced them again this session in hopes that uh, they would get through the process. So not everything introduced is uh, breaking ground necessarily. Um, and then there are also about, I think I found 19 or so what are called shell bills that are called the Election Reform Act of 2023 um, that are out there. Lawmakers can choose to add more substantial substantive language to them in the coming weeks. But right now, they're, they aren't really doing much as they're written. Now, there's neither a presidential nor a midterm election this year. Nonetheless, 2023 uh, could be an important year for election and voting policies. Why is that? That's because under most circumstances, unless there's like an emergency clause or, or special mandate, uh, typically, you'll see bills that are passed in the spring legislative session take effect uh, in November uh, later in the year. So, you know, if you pass something this session, it takes effect in November 2023, more than likely before we see the presidential primary in March 24. Um, and, th and then the other primary cycles throughout the, the summer leading up to the November election. So in order to get that entire cycle, it'll likely have to pass this year as opposed to next year. Now, uh, these come from both sides of the aisle. Which of the Republican-authored proposals stood out to you? Yeah, so they were pretty wide-ranging. Um, a few that stood out to me, um, there were not all of them were necessarily seeking to restrict or uh, take away access, but there were a few. Uh, one example, there are a few bills that would end no excuse absentee voting, um, so you'd have to choose a requirement or uh, an excuse for why you're not voting in person. Uh, that caught my attention. Um, there, there were a few relating to uh, federal election rules, seeking to uh, separate state and federal elections. If if uh, lawmakers and uh, different people in state government determine that those are overbearing, um, so that was another one. And then there were also a couple of bills uh, seeking to increase poll worker pay and, and boost some legal protections for precinct officials. Um, th that's kind of the overview of what caught my attention from the Republican side. And uh, what about uh, on the other side of the aisle? What stood out to you from the Democrats? So there are several bills proposing to end straight party voting. Of course, that got a lot of attention after the November election, a lot of folks um questioning whether or not that's a that's a good option. Um, some other ones, uh, there's a bill seeking to expedite the, the implementation of online voter registration that I wrote about earlier this month. And uh, there's also a couple of proposals dealing with uh, the lack of contested legislative races seeking to put uncontested lawmakers on a retention ballot. Um, those are some of the, the bills I detail in my story. 
Now, uh, your story also examines some proposed restrictions and some new requirements for, um, you know, voter-led ballot initiatives. What is being proposed there? Yeah, so basically what I've found, a lot of it's carryover from last year that got partly through the legislative process, through the, the House, and then stalled in the Senate. Um, but there are two categories of these uh, ballot initiative restrictions that are being proposed. Um, there's one side that deals with the um, the percentage of, of votes that would be needed for it to pass. For example, there's one bill that re- would require 60% approval of any ballot initiative that seek, that would raise state government expenditures. That's one example of the, the vote threshold rising. And then the other category would add new requirements um, or hurdles for the signature collection um, needed to get a question on the ballot. Um, there are a couple examples that would require signatures to be collected in every congressional district. Um, there's another example that re- would require a percentage of signatures in, in all 77 counties. Uh, so those are kind of the two sides of it there. Uh, it's not uh, not the first time we've seen the legislature um, uh, push back against voter-led initiatives in the state. That's been a fairly uh, common theme. They really don't seem to like the initiative petition process very much. But they don't have the final say on those matters, do they? That's correct. Uh, the citizen initiative process is c- protected in the state constitution and any modification or change to that constitution, uh, voters have the final say on that. So if any of these measures were to pass, they'd be put on uh, the next election, statewide election ballot more than likely, and voters would check yes or no on uh, some of these signature requirements or raising the threshold for certain questions, um, all of that. Now, you spoke to two lawmakers who were sponsoring bills proposing new requirements for state questions. What are they hoping to accomplish? So I spoke with Representative Chad Caldwell um, from Enid, who he's sponsoring that bill that would uh, impose the 60% restriction or threshold for bills that would raise state government expenditures. Um, He said his goal there was to bring it in line with uh, like local bond elections uh, school bonds where 60% voter approval is required. Um, he said, you know, the message becomes clearer that we need to push funds in this direction if there's a higher percentage of voters saying that. Um, and then I spoke to Representative David Harden from Stillwell. Um, Stillwell, of course, is in the far eastern part of the state. He said just feels like there hasn't been uh, enough outreach and organization from these initiative petition groups in rural areas. Um, and he's hoping to to get that bill passed that re- would require uh, signature collection in each county. All right. Well, thanks, Keaton. You can read Keaton's uh, analysis of those proposals coming up in this legislative session as long as uh, all his other work on democracy in Oklahoma on our website, oklahomawatch.org, where you can also subscribe to his weekly newsletter, Democracy Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation 
for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struley. Thanks for listening.